Hey, welcome. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Marketing Mind. On this show, I have a conversation with my friends in marketing. These experts are the best in their fields, and we dive deeper into their career journey. How did they get to this point? What were their hurdles along the way? And, and where are things heading for them? My name is John Ellis. I'm a marketing professional. I've been in the digital marketing space for 20 years. In that time, I've met a lot of great people and experts. Now, you can find me on Twitter every day discussing marketing at, at John W. Ellis. Join the conversation or just ask me any marketing question. If I can't help you, I know an expert who can. Now, we use these episodes to get to know these marketing experts, and often we hear them t- talking about left turns from where their career started, and other times it's a direct, direct route to where they planned on being. And the journey is never the same and always has unexpected bumps along the way. Today, I look inside the marketing mind of... My name is Laura Click. I am the founder and CEO of Blue Kite. It is a brand strategy shop here in Nashville. And I am also the host of the podcast, Make It Brave. And Laura is a friend of mine who really specializes in a lot of brand strategy. She helps businesses develop and ultimately live out their brand identity. We started out our conversation talking about starting up a new agency and and being an entrepreneur and and fighting off imposter syndrome and realizing you're not alone in this day-to-day struggle of running a business. Here's Laura. Yeah, that's one of the kind of frustrating things I think about entrepreneurship a little bit is that from the outside looking in, it feels really sexy, right? It looks really, you know, everything feels polished and clean and awesome and, you know, all this, it, it feels glamorous, entrepreneurship does. And, and I think people kind of look at it that way and go, wow, look at all these things that you've done or look at how great this is, or that's really brave or really awesome or whatever. And, you know, I think almost every entrepreneur will tell you exactly what you said either. Well, it doesn't feel like I much, and there's still so much more I want to do, or they might say, well, it might seem like I'm, uh, I'm successful, but I really have imposter syndrome and I, I don't know what I'm doing all the time. Or it might be, yeah, that might have looked really brave, but really I'm scared to death. And so I, I think it's such a, a facade in a lot of ways. Like I think most entrepreneurs are just trying to figure it out. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll never completely figure it out no. until we get no. to a point where we're ready to retire and then maybe we'll right. figure it out then. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, if you don't mind, can we go back a little bit? Like where, where are you from? Where were you raised? Yeah, I am from central Missouri. I grew up on a farm an hour east of Kansas City and my hometown had right around 300 people in it. So my joke is that there were more cows in my hometown than people. So I, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have neighbors. I couldn't ride bikes. Like I had, I had one friend growing up that, she lived probably about a mile and a half or so away from me. And we would r- try attempting to ride our bikes on the gravel road, which is a difficult thing to do. And we would meet like halfway and we'd be like so tired. We're like, well, good seeing you. I guess we both have to pedal our way back home. It was such an arduous thing. So, so yeah, I, I grew up in a really, a really small town. I had 35 people in my graduating class. So it was one of those places where, yeah, everyone knew everyone. And, and that 35 people, like my high school was comprised of, you know, four different communities, four different towns funneled into this one school. So 
if I had only had a school for my town, like it would have been so much less, right? So 35, and that was pulling in from four different towns to make that high school. So yeah, I grew, I grew up in central Missouri and, and for me, I, I always joked that I felt like I didn't, like, am I an alien? Are these really my parents? Cause I always felt like I didn't belong there. Not that I didn't have a great childhood, not that I didn't love my family and, and my sisters and my parents. And there were aspects of, of my childhood that I really, really loved, but I, I was also the kid that couldn't wait to leave, could not wait to leave. And, um, granted leaving for me just meant going an hour down the road to college, but still that was kind of like my ticket out, uh, because I just knew that small town farm life was not for me. So you knew you would never be back, at least not long-term. Oh yeah. hundred percent. It's like every fiber of my being knew that. Did your, did your parents kind of know that too? They knew yes. you were destined oh, to, sure. to get out. Yeah. You know, my mom will tell this story. Um, I, I went to the University of Missouri, um, or Mizzou, which I know we have a shared connection there. <laughs> yeah, we your do. daughter is going there, uh, which I'm so excited about. Uh, but I went there because I had one of the best journalism programs in the country, and that's what I wanted to do. And it would have been foolish for me to consider anything else when I could get in-state tuition at a really good journalism school an hour down the road. Um, and, and so that was my plan. But my parents, you know, were trying to encourage me like, well, you know, at the time they had this I think there they called it the A plus program. It's called different things in different places where you could get two years for free at a community community college. And they're like, that's a really great deal. Why don't you go to the community college and, and do that? And I, like, I never really yelled or got mad at my parents. I was always the good kid who followed the rules. And my mom will always tell the story how I like, was like, I am not doing that. And I like ran off to my room and slammed the door and they're like, well, guess she's going to the zoo and that's just that. So like, I think they always knew my mom would always say like, go fly little bird. You know, she, she knew that I wasn't built to stay there. And I, I don't know at what point she knew that or how long they knew that, but definitely, you know, by the time I was in high school or by the time I was getting close to graduate high school, I mean, they knew that I was not built to stay there wanted to get far away. So I was looking at USC at one point. I got a lot of materials from them. Um, and so I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll, I'll do that. Like I wanted to get the heck out of Dodge and go far, far away. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, do I, I've never been to LA. Would I like LA? I don't know. That is also very far. <laughs> so, so then, you know, I had, I had some really great guidance counselors was like, you know, <laughs> The, one of the best programs is right, right down, right down the road. So, um, but I, I felt the same way in terms of needing to kind of start fresh. And I, I will never forget that getting onto campus my freshman year and just feeling like for the first time in my life, I could decide who were my friends instead of, well, these are your friends because this is all there is, right? I could choose who I wanted to, you know, I, I could, I almost got to a chance to almost redefine myself or fully be who I wanted to be and then choose I, who I wanted to spend time with, which was such a refreshing and wonderful thing for me. So I went in thinking I wanted to do broadcast journalism. Well, I, I was actually late getting into the program. I got waitlisted the first time. Uh, and I had to appeal, uh, to, I appealed to the dean, uh, to, to get in. And I actually got the dean to write me a, a letter to get, to get in later. I got in a semester late. Um, 
but yeah, I, I originally thought I wanted to do broadcast journalism. And after I took my first pre-journalism class and they kind of went through, they called them sequences at the time. I'm not sure what they call them now. Uh, they talked about each sequence and kind of the pros and cons of each and what it would look like to, to practice these different areas of journalism. And as I learned more about broadcast, I thought, gosh, that is not me. It's a lot about as much as you don't want to admit that this is true. It's about how you look and they're going to tell you how to wear your hair and how to do your makeup and what clothes to wear. And it's more about what you look like than your intellect. And I thought, oh, heck no, that is not me. And so I, I switched gears and I, I graduated with a uh, magazine journalism, um, specifically mag- magazine publishing was, was my degree program. I, not that I wanted to be a magazine publisher, but what I liked about that program, it was very well-rounded. So I learned, I, I worked at the paper. I did, you know, newspaper writing. I did editing. I did design. I did publishing. I mean, so I did all of the different facets and I loved kind of how well-rounded it made me. Um, because at, towards the end of my time in college, I, learned that I wanted to be more on the, at the time, I I, I would say I talked more about PR, but I, I wanted to kind of switch more toward that than being a so-called journalist. I didn't want to go write for a paper or a magazine. Like I, I, I kind of switched gears, but I knew that still the journalism degree would serve me well in that world. So what did you envision yourself doing? Like as a kid, when, when you were thinking like, when I grow up, gonna I'm going to do something. Did you kind of have a what have the vision of what you kind of thought your career would be? That's such an interesting question. And honestly, something I've been revisiting a lot as of late, I would say when I was probably, well, originally I would say I wanted to be a teacher. So like early in my grade school years, I remember wanting to be a teacher. And then by the time I got to junior high and I saw how poorly my classmates treated our teachers, I thought, heck, this is not for me. I do not want this. But then that's really when my love for writing blossomed. And so I always have had this desire to write. What's interesting is I didn't really know what that looked like as a kid. So in junior high, I remember loving writing of all forms. Like I would write short stories. I get into high school and I remember writing some poetry. And I just remember thinking, I really, I really love to write. And, and my, English teacher, I think in particular, really channeled me toward journalism. And, and then more people kind of encouraged me that direction. And that's when I thought, Oh, I, I would love to do broadcast journalism because I also love to speak. I was a speech and drama nerd. I, I was in all the plays. I went to speech contests. I mean, so I love getting in front of people and, and, and talking, but. Um, you know, I don't know that that was ever an, a, a desire I had. I think that was a desire that was cultivated in me. Did I ever really want to be a journalist? I don't know that like that seed was planted and I was like, Oh yeah, that sounds good. So that's what I'll go yeah. do. Well, I imagine if you're like me, it's not like you were exposed to a lot of these other careers. No, you're probably, you, you know, teacher, you you saw teachers and you saw farming and then obviously right. public service stuff like policemen and firemen. But other than that, I mean, you're in a small town. It's not like you see all these people doing these different careers. Right. No, that's- there, there really wasn't. So there wasn't exposure to that. And so, yeah, I didn't, I don't know that I really, I don't know that I really knew. And, and then when the seed was planted for journalism, I thought, oh, well, I'm going to be the next Barbara Walters or Katie Couric. I, I loved the idea of investigative journalism. So for a while, that was kind of the bent that I had. I didn't want to be just an anchor who sat in front of a camera. I really loved the idea of, 
digging in and getting to the heart of something and finding story and finding answers, um, interviewing people like that was what really got me excited. And more of that kind of longer form investigative journalism yeah. is, is what excited me about it. And what was your uh, first job after college? Was it related to journalism? Well, it was actually PR. So oh, okay. yeah. So what ha- actually what happened is when I was in, I was a senior at Mizzou, I was a tour guide. So I gave campus tours and I was giving one in January of my senior year. Uh, I'll never forget it. I, I, and I remember not wanting to give a tour that day. It was before classes had started in January and I was working some extra shifts before school started. And, um, I gave this tour and at the end of the tour, uh, this woman asked me a ton of questions, ton of questions and, and personal questions. And I thought, why does this woman care so much about what I want to do or where I want to go? And at the end of the interview, she hands me a business card and she said, you know, I own a PR firm in Nashville and I would love to talk to you about a job. And I nearly fell out of my chair. I couldn't believe it. And was she it, there because I guess her daughter was touring or her son was touring? Her son. Yeah. Um, her son. And, and there were, you know, a set of several people on the tour. So she, it wasn't just her and her son. I mean, you know, you've, you've experienced tours there. There was probably at least 10 or 15 people on the tour with me. And she was at the front and asking all the questions. And at the end, uh, I took them to lunch at the, and, and she, uh, she sat next to me and we were talking and she, she gives me her business card. So yeah, I ended up moving to Nashville. I, I came down a month or two later and, and interviewed with her and, uh, they, she offered me a job to start as soon as I graduated. So I moved to Nashville, uh, three days after I graduated college and, and started, uh, working here uh, a week, a week after that. So yeah, that's how, that's how I ended up in Nashville. Wow. So you went straight. So you didn't even go, I mean, other than to get your stuff, you you didn't go home at all. No, I didn't know. I didn't. I mean, I, I think I graduated on a, on a Saturday and I think I was moving to Nashville on a, on a Tuesday or something like that. It was, it was pretty crazy and pretty fast and also pretty rare. I mean, I'll, I'll age myself here, but I was, this was 2002. And so that time was, you know, in the months after September 11th, I mean, the economy wasn't super great then. And I had a lot of my classmates who struggled to find jobs. So I found, I considered myself incredibly lucky that I had a job and that I had a job in the field I wanted to go into. So I, 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 yeah. I really lucked out. I mean, were, were you at all familiar with Nashville at all? No. You, but no. I mean, nope. other than what we, what the world knows about Nashville. Right. And, and that was the big joke. Uh, my, my roommates at the time, like they, I hate country music. I've never loved country music. So I grew up on a farm and hated country music. I was the weirdo. See, I, I surely did not belong. And so then I find this job here and my roommates thought it was hysterical that here is the farm girl who hates country music going to the capital of country music. And so yeah, all the stereotypes was really all I knew. And I'd only been here the one, the, the time I came for an interview, I'd never been until I came for the interview. So yeah, I knew nothing about the city and you know, this was not where I wanted, I th- wanted to go. I, my, my thought was I, I really wanted to go to Chicago for whatever reason, like Chicago seemed like a good place to be. It's still Midwest. It was a big city, but it was still in the Midwest. And, um, that was really appealing to me. I'd been to Chicago before and, and liked it when I'd gone um, so I, I moved here with the ma- mindset of I'll give Nashville a year. I'll give this job a year. And if I hate it, 
the job or Nashville, I can go somewhere else, you know? And, and I ended up falling in love with the city and I also met my husband here. So that, that's, those are big reasons why I, why I'm still here. Was there ever any, uh, uh, cause I know obviously this is a choice for different people, but was there ever any doubt of you, uh, when, when you had James not going back to full-time work? Never, never a doubt. I mean, I, I've always wanted kids, but I've always known that I'm not a stay-at-home mom. And there's nothing against doing that. I just, just know, yeah, I just know that that for me, like I, I need to do work that feeds my soul. And if I'm not doing that, I'm not a happy and healthy and whole person. And yep. I need to be those things to be a good mom. Yeah, I mean, we talked about how the the quarantines affected you from a personal standpoint. What about from the business standpoint? Is everything good there? Well, isn't that a loaded question? I mean, is anything good, <laughs> John? <laughs> is it, well, is it, is it, uh, have you lost clients because of it? Oh yeah. I mean, I had, uh, I had a client in tourism, which oh, yeah. tourism has just been completely demolished. Right. I had a restaurant client. So yeah, I was yeah. there too. Yeah. And so, I mean, when I was working with, um, a convention and visitors bureau and, doing social media marketing for them. And when they furlough 80% of their staff, like, are they going to keep their vendor contracts? No, you know, or, or as they told me, it is put on pause, whatever that means. So paused indefinitely. We'd like to bring you back. We just don't know when that will be. So yeah, that was, that was a big one. I had a couple that went paused for a little bit and then have come back. So yeah, it's a weird, I mean, I think everyone kind of panicked in March. I mean, I think I, everything hit pause in March and then, you know, things have come back a little bit. Um, but I mean, gosh, now with everything spiking again, who, who knows? I mean, it, it just feels very tumultuous and you never know what's going to happen from one day or one week or one month to the next, right? Yeah. And that's, um, and that's, that's been on, on my end. Um, I mean, luckily I've had, one or two sort of big clients that nothing's changed for them that have kind of paid the bills, but a couple have dropped off or like you said, or paused and we could probably still keep going on some things, but I don't, I'm not going to talk them into spending money for me, but it would be sort of irresponsible. I think for me to say, you really need to do this and spend money with me. It's like, no, I'm not they, when they've had to let go of employees. It just seems wrong for me to call them up and say, let's do this now. Let's do this campaign. Right. Right. I mean, it's one of those tricky things where, I think you and I would both agree that marketing is still really valuable and maybe even more so right now. But at the same time, I also knew, I mean, like as soon as things were really starting to heat up, I was bracing myself because I know that marketing is always the first thing to go. It's always the first thing to go. And so when I started getting those phone calls, I wasn't surprised, was not surprised. I mean, it's, it hurts and it's hard and you don't blame them. And like you said, I'm not, I'm not mad. It's frustrating. Um, so it's this double-edged sword of like, yeah, I don't blame you. I totally get it. It also really sucks. <laughs> um, and I also think you could still really use marketing, but I understand why you have to pull back a hundred percent. Well, what's the, I mean, outside of where we are now in, in, in sort of normal times, what's, do you kind of have a, a plan where things are going with your career wise? Or do you just kind of, do you, do you know what your next move is going to be? Or you just kind of see where, see where things take you. You know, 
that's such an interesting question. I was about to say, I don't know, John. Do you know? Do you have? I don't. I don't, I don't know either. That's why I like asking. Listen, remember, this is just all about me. I'm getting ideas. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a journey. I mean, my my work has evolved significantly from when I started. I mean, when I started Blue Kite ten years ago. I started out with a heavy emphasis in social media. And while I do a lot of that now still, it's not where I want to, that's not where I focus my time and energy. For me, my, my marketing hat and my, my career from that standpoint has really evolved more to a branding and brand strategy focus. So that's really where I want to be working uh, more with businesses is, is helping them better identify where they are from a a strategic brand standpoint, and then how do they live that out in their marketing. And so not that I'm not doing traditional marketing, but it's more coming from a place of of brand strategy. And and while I've always done that to some extent, I'm really doubling down more on that. I'd much rather spend time um, doing uh, brand strategy development or one of the things I'm working on rolling out is, is brand strategy workshop. So let's do a half day or full day intensive to really better articulate your strategy as a, as a company um, and, and doing more of that kind of short term work with people and build that foundation as opposed to all of the marketing executional pieces. While I can do that, I've realized more and more that that's just not really where my highest and best work is that isn't what sets my soul on fire. So um, I, I'm more more um, focused on the, on the brand strategy side of things. And I see it. You probably see it all the time too. There's so there's so many companies with lack of strategy, or lack of voice, or lack of tone. It's just right. just start posting stuff, and it's like, well, any first of all, anybody can do that. You don't need me, and you really need a an overall strategy. You need a plan. You need a calendar. You need a schedule. You need a tone, right. a voice, et cetera. Right. Well, and it's not just, I mean, the the calendar and that stuff. It's really about, it's how you show up. I mean, I was thinking about it before our conversation and um, where, uh, why brand strategy matters. I think it matters more now than ever if you think about it because we're in this time of dealing with a worldwide pandemic and we're also in this time where our country is talking a lot more about systemic racism and I think those two things in particular are, are, they're difficult to talk about anyway and difficult to manage anyway. Um, but you know, I think it's going to be easier to talk about them and easier for you to figure out how to approach it from a messaging and marketing standpoint. If you have a, a strong, uh, brand strategy in place. So for example, you look at a company like Ben and Jerry and all the work they've done uh, from an advocacy standpoint because they've always had strong values that say, hey, we stand for um, justice, right, and equality and equity. And so the way they show up in the world and their products are all devised, uh, derived from those values that they have. Um, I have a client that I did a brand strategy and then a, a rebrand. So when I'm talking brand, I'm not just talking logo, right? You've got to have the strategy first. And then the visual pieces are the kind of the executionals that come out of that. But I worked with this, this acupuncture clinic on their brand strategy and rebrand, and they have been able to navigate how they communicate about the pandemic 
so much better and so much easier because they were able to do it from these strong values that we developed together and the strong strategic bent that we developed together. So to me, I think as you navigate really challenging things in the world or in the market, having, having the, that strategy, having strong core values in place, knowing who you are as a brand and what you stand for uh, will go such a long way in, in how you show up with your messaging and your marketing. Yeah, it's, it's so important. I mean, and then companies have to decide, do you want to have a voice in like with, like you're talking about the justice and equality and, and do you want to have a voice in this or do you want to be quiet? And, and how does that affect your brand? And sometimes silence is the same as, as saying something negative. So, mm-hmm. and then yeah. deciding, deciding when you want to say something and how you want to say something. And well, I think when you have a strong, um, what I would call like a core why or a core, um, kind of this mission, vision and values piece. I mean, everything you do as a company should live out of those things. So what, how you hire, so it's not just marketing, it's how you hire, it's how you show up every day, what you expect out of your employees, it's the products and services you offer. And so people who are struggling through these decisions around, you know, the pandemic or decisions around speaking out against racism, having a strong, like mission, vision values gives you some, a framework of going, does this align with who we are? and what we're about as a company, you know? And and I think without those things in place, that's why so many companies are, are struggling and, and flailing around with this. Hey, Laura, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad we had a chance to really have this conversation. And listeners, thank you for being a part of today's episode. Also, be sure to check out Laura's podcast, Make It Brave. I've included the link in the notes. As always, I appreciate you making this part of your podcast routine. Be sure to subscribe so you're the first to know these new episodes. If you haven't yet, leave me a comment in Apple Podcasts or however you're listening. I'd love to hear from you. As you know, reviews and stars are always helpful. As always, you can find the podcast on all the major channels. Join the discussion online. Let's talk even more about marketing. You can find me on Twitter today and every day at John W. Ellis. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon.